This is a CW Spiral, a podcast run by two Barchies and a Bughead. We're your hosts, Sabrina Reed, Michael Patterson, and Reed Gowden, bringing you history about the network, the latest news, and in-depth spoiler-filled discussions of some of our favorite shows on the CW. It is so good to be back after we took a break, um, and there is news, I guess. Not the news that people want to hear, just the news that's trickling out. Um, so April 25th, which is next tuesday i believe so tomorrow once you hear this recording <laughs> uh next are supposed to have a media buyer day um and they're going to be like rolling out their plans for the properties that they own and cw is going to be a part of it so everyone is under or at least hoping that we're going to get renewal and cancellation news either on that monday or that tuesday because we've all been hanging out in limbo if it's not april 25th then it'll be sometime before May 18th because they're not necessarily doing upfronts in the traditional way. They're having a press breakfast. And then there's like a talk between like Dennis, I was going to say Dennis the Menace, Dennis Miller (laughs) (laughs) and Brad Swartz, um, which I'm assuming is just them talking about, you know, the future of the CW since they're also going to be announcing the fall lineup. So it's going to be an interesting few weeks for everybody who's waiting around to see what the CW is going to look like come like September, October. I feel like Jesse Spano right now. I'm so excited, but I'm so scared. <laughs> <laughs> the The fact that they're doing like an upfront breakfast is kind of terrifying because it's like, why are you giving us all coffee and food? What are What are you buttering us up for? <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be the CW not to do things in the traditional way. Um, I mean, like, after how many months of just endless quiet or an endless silence, is it nice to finally have some kind of update? I mean, granted, we have like a window, whereas the other networks are announcing renewals and cancellations every day. But like a one month long window is the most clarity we've gotten from this network and who knows how long. So, I mean, I think we'll take it. I'm just like Reed said, kind of excited and terrified by what the potential outcome could be. I mean, look, I'm excited not for... I mean, it's we're going to have feelings hurt across mm-hmm. the CW mm-hmm. fandom. Like, that's a given. I'm excited to see, like, this is our first time seeing what this new era has in store. Because they're doing things differently, as we can see with these two dates. Like, this is different. So I'm kind of, like, excited in the, I guess, morbid curiosity sense to see, like, how they're going to run this network. And maybe how they're going to ruin the network. <laughs> <laughs> Run with an eye. I don't know. I mean, I'm excited to see. I'm anxious. I'm I'm not getting my hopes up for anything. Like, come what may. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that's true, though. I think because at this point, I remember I was talking to someone on Twitter, and I was like, I don't mind being in limbo, but I hope like the people behind the shows aren't in limbo and they're just waiting till they can talk about it rather than they are also like waiting to get the call along with us. Um, also, well, I mean, I saw this morning Kat McNamara was making a like some banana oat recipe on Instagram and I was like, I need to know about Wendy season two. And clearly she does also. Not that she can't make a delicious banana recipe on her Instagram. <laughs> but I was like, we need Wendy content. <laughs> <laughs> She was feeding the masses, though. Did you see those pictures of her and the cast? I don't know where they were. Oh, yeah, they, they went on up. vacation together. I oh, yeah. I to you guys about that. 
the other day. Um, that was adorable. Was, <laughs> yeah. The pictures were great. Something Cat will do is feed everybody with the content. Mm-hmm. But like how adorable that they went on vacation together. I think I don't know. I mean, they didn't elaborate. I think on their plans as they as is their right. But that was so cute. I love them <laughs> so much. <laughs> I know. Though not to like. No, I'm totally gonna tin hat. So like, if, if it's like one of those things where like, if you're in the fandom and you're looking at it, you're like, but was this a reunion? Because you'll have to get your bond together because you know you have the season two green light, and so we have to get everything yeah, in motion. True. Speak yeah. speak that into existence. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think we deserve to have that conspiracy theory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One thing that fandom doesn't deserve, though, is, and I'm just going to put this out here because uh, I saw it in the tweets, to the Jared and Jensen fans, regardless of who gets renewed or who gets canceled, do not wage war on one another. No. That's not worth it. Because mm. everyone's like batting down the hatches in the tweet that we put out. And I'm just like, it's not worth it for what? Because both of them still going to be booked and busy still gonna yeah. be paid and you're gonna yeah. be arguing and hurting feelings <laughs> on twitter as they move on she's peace we're all in the same boat here <laughs> yeah know. fingers crossed for everybody though mm. but, um, moving on though we you know felt like a cleanse for the pod so we have sunset reviews for today except for nancy drew drew fam you will get at least one episode review <laughs> <laughs> but everybody else sorry but you're going to have to wait because we want to jump in. Ooh, we we just need to sage the, the timeline. Mm-hmm. We need yes. to sage it, get back to basics before it really hits the fan on April 25th. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. Which is why we're doing teen dramas. And do you remember when they ruled, ruled, ruled TV? And oh, now they ruled coming. my life. Yes. That was my whole, like... I feel like childhood and then especially when I was a teenager I was just like give me all the teen dramas that I didn't get to watch when I was a kid I was just gobbling them up from the 90s collecting them like infinity stones <laughs> is that a reference I don't understand that reference I, I, I understood that reference, <laughs> I understood the reference too. <laughs> uh what a time it was and it feels so weird to look back on now obviously because shows like this don't hit as much anymore but like if you didn't grow up in this era, it was a thing. And it makes me feel like probably the way my parents felt when they're like, oh, remember when that was on way back when? But the era of teen dramas was like unrivaled. Like we have our superhero shows now and we have our um, comedies. I, I know they're on their way out as well, but we have all our genres now. But I remember what a time to be alive in the like teen drama era. It was something else. And like every big network had one at some point in time, and whether it was the early 90s, the late 90s, the early 2000s and so forth there was at least one network that had a dominant teen drama at some point in time. And like, I, you can see why everyone wanted and on the trend. Oh, what a time to be alive. And they dipped in and out of genres too, because it wasn't just, it wasn't always just slice of life. Mm-hmm. You had some comedies, you had some supernatural things going on. It was like, they were like trying to cater to the younger demographic. And by that, I mean, the, the shows were TV, but they were TV PJ to TV 14. They were not mm-hmm. TVMA. And like that's like the difference between like teen dramas now and teen dramas when we were growing up, because the ones we were watching were all on network TV and they could only do but so much. And now the they're evolution. like, what were you gonna say? I was just gonna say now it's like they have to read the age rating and see what the content mm-hmm. is before they feel comfortable. Yeah, it's more like I feel like nowadays, I don't want to to have a sweeping generalization, but it's more like. 
teen trauma instead of drama. There's a lot of heaviness. And we did get some heaviness like back in the day, but it wasn't like you said, it was network. So like we can't say certain things, show certain things. Um, but the evolution, I feel like, of the teen drama, I feel like, I mean, who knows when it first like started as a genre, but I feel like for me, I just, I always seen Beverly Hilton to know as the, the blueprint as far mm -hmm. as teen dramas. Cause I feel like that was the, the one that really popularized or maybe even repopularized the genre and defined what it could be moving forward. Um, and I think in those early times, there were a lot more that were just straightforward coming of age stories mm -hmm. with just like teens in college, love triangles, big feelings, the parents are acting up and there weren't like vampires or mysteries. <laughs> and then as when we became teenagers, I feel like that was when the shift started because of like Twilight, which we're going to get into Twilight, I feel like soon. Um, and like Vampire Diaries, it started the, the, the shift happened to where it was more like teen drama with genre and like a hook. And the shift has started even more now where it's like, like you said, like we have the euphorias, we have the elevated mm -hmm. content where it's kind of night and day from like, like I couldn't imagine Dawson's Creek being TVMA. That would be wild. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's just sounds so weird. It was like in compared to like what the dramas are today, that'd be, I feel like if you've never seen Seventh Heaven, that's what someone would assume Seventh Heaven was just by how teen dramas are now. Like it's the Dawson's Creek would be the Seventh Heaven of today's teen shows. That's, I mean, accurate. And Seventh Heaven has been going viral lately on TikTok just based on how cringy it is. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? I don't know. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is interesting to see the evolution because like, when we, I'm trying to think of what era I would have liked the teen dramas were at their height for me, as at least as a teenager, it would probably have been around the Gossip Girl era or the Vampire Diaries era. And like Gossip Girl was considered so out there and kind of boundary pushing for its time. We all saw the posters with the parents' criticisms on it, which was a marketing stroke of genius. But like, even that seems tame compared to like the modern Gossip Girl or the some of the other shows, like you mentioned, like Euphoria and things like that. So now it's interesting because I feel like the teen drama kind of spawned out of network TV, which we all know. But like nowadays, is a teen drama really a teen show or is it just an adult show about teenagers? I feel like that's where the disconnect kind of is. And it is, it's interesting looking back on, because one thing I remember about the teen dramas growing up was like a sense of nostalgia, kind of like that kind of like, it's like, you can't put your finger on it, but it's like crisp nostalgia that you would see in a show like Superman at Lois. There were more elements of like family drama to it as well, like Dawson's Creek as well. I feel like, for me, the first real teen drama I ever remember watching was probably Dawson's Creek because my mom would have watched it a lot and it was on and uh, she would have listened to the soundtrack as well. And then you also had things like Smallville, which, of course, was completely up my neck of the woods. And again, nostalgia. And I feel like that also ties well into what you were saying about how it kind of mixed genres because... Smallville single-handedly kept the superhero genre alive for years on television because it was a teen drama, whereas shows like Birds of Prey and the 90s Flash came and went because television wasn't ready for that. But Smallville had right in that sweet spot during the teen drama era. So I feel like even though it was kind of a thing, I feel like maybe the early 2000s was where it really kind of exploded and gave us so many of the teen dramas that we kind of grew up with today. And that paved the way for the more like supernatural ones like The Vampire Diaries after that. 
to your point about the nostalgia, like it just made me think about how those shows were written by adults who were teens in the 80s. Mm -hmm. So it had that layer of nostalgia in the writing, whereas nowadays it's all over the map. (laughs) Who's writing these shows? Mm -hmm. Um, But I also feel like television was so much more like innocent Mm -hmm. as a platform. Like now there's just so much everywhere. Everything's happening all at once. And just the the way the world's changed. Like TV back then was just like, I mean, TV's been around for much longer than the 90s, but back it just felt so different then. Like it was, it still felt like the beginning of the platform for some reason. Mm -hmm. Like they were just like figuring it out. That seems like it's so stupid to say, but like, I don't know. That's how it felt where it's Mm -hmm. just like, that was like TV at its purest form. And then it just became like, something else well, craziness like tv with restraints right because they had a board that they answered to it was like mm-hmm. mm, you can't do that you can't show that you can't do this i know as a network the cw was pushing those boundaries but they were pushing it at the same time like the oc was on the oc was doing that on fox like but now with the streamers they don't answer to nobody they like mm-hmm. because it's a paywall they're like oh no you're responsible for your children so if you don't like like the teen drama we have, put the parental restrictions on or like have a talk. Uh, not to say that they aren't like also doing content for younger teens. It's just, uh, and there is a shift in the way that they're structuring their teen programs. And I feel like I'm seeing more, I feel like I'm seeing more um, teen dramas that are specifically for teenagers and not teen dramas, teen fantasies, right? Like, so I feel like Euphoria is grounded in realism, but it is also very much a show about teenagers that feels geared towards older t- teens to um, young adults, to grown folks. Like it just is, it's not Heartstopper. Heartstopper very much is a teen drama and it's wholesome mm-hmm. and it's very cute and it's a love story. And it gives sort of like the, the teen dramas you grew up with. It's very sweet. And it's all about coming of age and coming into yourself and, um, how to navigate different situations in your friend group where it's not to say that like TVM 18 drums aren't doing that. They're just doing that at a speed and a realism that is not realistic to a vast majority of people in the U.S. Sabrina, have you watched Ginny and Georgia? I have. And I, it's like the in-between space of, of those things. I could not stand it. Even though I've been the like I've watched the whole thing, um, and I think it's because remember I said uh, I have a problem with teenagers who are too far in the extreme when they're written, where just everything is awful, and I hate my parent, and mm-hmm. I um, and I can't possibly understand their perspective, and there is a teen experience like that, but I hate watching that teen experience, and that's Jenny for mm-hmm. me. I'm like, girl, I just want to watch your mama work. I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just like I remember I haven't watched that show, but I know it's like one of the biggest shows in the world, question mark. And it's a teen drama, but I didn't know like where it fell on the age rating spectrum. But it's nice to see it like a it seems like it's just like a coming of age mother daughter story. There's like no vampires, no like we're not solving crimes, I don't think. It just seems like it's very grounded, but there are I know there's a murder thing happening. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but it's not like Riverdale. Like, yes, that's we need to find the serial killer immediately or we're all going to mm-hmm. die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, that wasn't dragging about- Riverdale either. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the few teen dramas left. Of course not. I know. Like, well, we, uh- <laughs> we got to keep her going. <laughs> um, I feel like that goes back to your point, Reid, about how it feels or the teen dramas we grew up with kind of felt like the beginning of television. Because I think at the end of the day, that's what TV started as escapism, like throwbacks, what it was like in the old days. And of course, what you would have seen on TV in the 60s is not what you would have seen on TV in the 90s. But there was still kind of that element of like purity and nostalgia in it because you can only do so much on TV. And the classic teen dramas we look back on are very much like the first of their kind. So it definitely felt like almost a coming of age for television. Television could finally start pushing some of the same boundaries that movies do. But nowadays, obviously, when you have streaming and things like this that don't have to answer to any kind of board or anything because they do their own thing, even sometimes shows that shows from that era or from eras afterwards that get revived push boundaries for no reason just because they can. There's an awful lot on TV that, or not on TV, on streaming TV, that just does things because they can. Whereas... I feel like the good old teen dramas, edgy as they were for their time, only did what they could and they made made as much of what they could with what they had. And I think it paid off because we always look back on the oldies far more fondly than some of the newbies, no offense, but um, that's just the way it is. And I feel like it's going to be harder for TV to kind of define eras in the way that they defined eras for us just because they were so new and cutting edge without really cut being that cutting edge now when you look back on it it just it filled a beautiful place in the market and they were more accessible than some of the shows you'd get nowadays and since tv is all about escapism a lot of the more realistic or uh, grittier portrayals it's, it's not providing that sense of escapism or nostalgia if you will that the oldies did and like look we can't pretend that every show that we grew up with is perfect or has Mm. aged well (laughs) no (laughs) sometimes they don't but we love them anyway just because like i think everyone will always have that show in a formative time of their lives that 20 years from then after you watch it it's always going to have that special place in your heart it may not hold up but sometimes that just doesn't matter that's true (laughs) Yeah. For me, that would be One Tree Hill season one. I one One Tree Hill season one through six for me. Like I have such a deep love, but I'm often on rewatching it now so that I can keep up with their podcast. I feel like I've said that eight thousand times on this podcast. So I'm sorry to anybody that's heard me say that (laughs) a million times. Um, but I watch these episodes and I'm like it's it's tough knowing what I know now and hearing their experiences, mm-hmm. but also just like some, sometimes the content just doesn't hit when you're not young. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. You go back, you revisit shows and you're like, oh, I was obsessed. Why? Um, I know. And like, I, I feel like I just binge, re-binged One Tree Hill. I mean, it was 10 years ago, but I was like, I was an adultish at that time. <laughs> but like now I'm like, oh, it's such a different experience even from 10 years ago. It's just a whole different perspective. It's still cute. I still love all the girls. But you know, it's it's one of the tougher ones for me to get through. Just some of the storylines mm-hmm. are rough. Especially season four when our king Matt Barr from Walker Independence plays Peyton's oh, yes. fake brother and the whole prom episode is just Peyton and Brooke getting tortured. And I'm like, we used to be a fun, like small town, like, oh, shucks kind of 
show with a lot of heart. We're just playing basketball and and feuding between generations. And now we have this whole horror arc that can be tough to to watch those certain things. Like when a when a show goes soap mm-hmm. for soap's sake. I don't know. People always hate on the OC too. For they always say like. Oh, by season three, it became what it was kind of like poking fun at in season one because it was kind of satirical in the first season. People say, kind of like self aware, like saying, like, oh, this is the craziest world. Like, we're in on the joke. And then by season three, it was just like soap. But I love season three. It didn't do anything. I feel like the stuff that I didn't like about One Tree Hill. I don't remember. I think I fell off of the OC after season two, not because it did anything. I think I just moved on to like another show that was airing at the same time. Um, but I do remember, you know, I'm just going to spoil people because it's been so many years when, yeah. <laughs> when Marissa died. And I was like, yeah. I will never return. I will because I loved her <laughs> and Ryan. And then I did watch some yeah. of up season four. I think I, I, um, I caught up just a bit just to see where everybody was so that by the time the finale aired, I was like, let me just watch the last 10 minutes and see where everybody is. Um, which, by the way, that is a great series finale. Oh, perfect. It was like the best series finale for people say like, oh, season four got back to basics. I tend to disagree. It felt mm-hmm. like a completely different show. It's I still premier. love it, but it's just like, yeah, they got a little, they overcorrected a little bit to be sillier because season three was so like bleak and dark with... Marissa, she went to a different school. She had a new boyfriend who was like a stalker and then she dies. It was very dark. Um, But like it was fitting because she was a very tragic character. Like that was, she's one of my favorite characters on TV and people I think don't really have that kind of fondness for Marissa, but like a a beautiful character arc for Marissa. Not the point that I was trying to make about season four, but the series finale coming full circle at the end. I get chills every time that Ryan, who ends up becoming an architect Mm -hmm. sees a kid in need and is like hey how can i help you like i just get chills talking about it because it's like the perfect full circle ending Ugh, i wish more shows could have that kind of follow through satisfaction but we're just not getting it these days I'm not mm-hmm. going to bring up the flash because it's not a team drama, but we're not getting it these days. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it dawned on me as well. Um, but no, I kind of tend to agree with what you said, Reed, sometimes about how when a show goes on a long time, people can be like, oh, that's the season where it got back to basics or that's the, the season where I find it's hard again. I feel like they did that with Smallville as well, but me, the superhero fan, actually much preferred Smallville's early teen drama days because by season five onwards, it's essentially just Clark and Lois and Metropolis. It's your Superman show just without the suit. Um, whereas I much prefer the nostalgia of the teen dramas. Um, I, maybe that's just because I feel like Smallville's one of those rare shows that evolved with the generation. Like at the start, it was a teen drama. Like so many of those nostalgic family teen dramas of the early 90s or the late 90s or the early 2000s. But by the end of its run, it was essentially what The Flash would go on to become. So it's kind of one of those ones that stood the test of time. And I was kind of very happy with how it ended. But has there ever been a show that kind of like evolved, evolved with the times in the way that one did? Because... We talk about teen dramas, we talk about family dramas, and we talk about even superhero dramas. And the first episode of Smallville is so different from the last episode of Smallville. And just that decade in between, it just highlights you. Ha- it shows how like television in general changed because you started with shows like Dawson's Creek on at the same time, but ended Smallville with shows like Gossip Girl on at the same time. I think that's just an, uh, an indication of how television evolved during that decade. 
we could have a whole other uh, conversation too about teen shows that transitioned into college shows or adult mm-hmm. shows. Like that's a whole other conversation. And even just within this drama, it happens a lot. Like they have to graduate. And if you're still on, you're, you're either doing a flash forward or you're going to stick it out through college. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those decisions, you know, varied success. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because for some writers, I feel like they want to write college dramas, like just like an elevated high school drama. And I was like, no, it's much different. Like these are like, they're, they're, it's a different t- style of coming of age drama. And I do think unless you can handle the four years at the Institute that they're going to be learning, just do the time jump. It's fine. Just mm-hmm. make, make them 22 year olds or even jump further and make them 20, late 20 somethings, which is what Riddle did, which I was fine with. We couldn't have done college. But I'm glad mm-hmm. that they were aware mm-hmm. that that's not something that would have gone well on Riverdale. Yeah, it's always, no matter what you do, it's it's such a, uh, I don't envy writers that have to deal with that because it's such a big, no matter what you choose, it's such a big shift. Mm-hmm. Whether you do college or whether you don't, there are shows that have done it better. I feel like the original 90210 somehow pulled it off flawlessly. Like some of the sets stayed the same, but they had a whole new world and it was just the same thing happening. They were just, you know, drama-rama, top to bottom. Like it was all happening. Um but not to dog on One Tree Hill again, but like, I don't know about that. <laughs> but like, we don't have enough. I know we talked about this too when All American Homecoming started. We don't have enough like college shows. Like mm-hmm. one of my favorites is Felicity. And maybe we don't count that as a teen drama, but to me it is. Because they're only 18. It's, they're still yeah, teenagers. She was a teenager, yeah. Um, and I think it was wise for them to only cover those four years of college. And to not try to, I don't even know what the circumstances were of its cancellation. They'll say it was Carrie's hair, but I disagree. Um, why they didn't continue past season four. But I think it's smart to like, and like Netflix is doing it with Never Have I Ever, another teen show. Like they only did four seasons to cover her high school years. Mm. Once you move past it, I feel like, depending on how you structure the show, there's probably no more road. Like, and then you trying to like lay the groundwork for road when it's clear that the narrative needs to be done. It's just, mm-hmm, yeah. it's just not good. Not to say that, so All American is also a college drama because they transitioned from high school to college and another show I fell off of. But um, one of the ways that they've seemed to be working through it is we're specifically staying in the atmosphere of sports in journalism it's not that they don't go to class they do but it's you're also not really in class and i think that's a like a interesting decision to make that works for them because they are a sports drama and they never those kids were never they were in school but we never actually get to see them in class that much anyway so like i i like that when they decided they were okay we're gonna head to university now that they weren't like oh yeah we're gonna sit here in english 101 together as as mm-hmm. we like learn about this book like they do that in all american homecoming which is different because they had to wait for their sports season to come around. So of course we're doing projects in school together and arguing mm-hmm. on the tennis court before we actually have any games. But All American is is more so doing the pathways to coming of age in and around school without actually being in school, if that makes sense. I feel like in the older teen dramas, we spent so much more time 
in school and in class mm -hmm. with characters like in the gossip girl reboot they were in school a lot as like the yeah. setting but did we ever see them in a classroom um no. i don't think so it was that same glass window <laughs> corridor over and over and over again <laughs> and that was that <laughs> i mean it was a beautiful set i mean it was smart to that that like i don't know whatever you called it that like it's like a terrace i don't know it was gorgeous mm -hmm. i don't think we ever saw those kids in a classroom we saw the teacher's lounge in <laughs> <laughs> the original we are actually like even when we don't spend time in class they have class projects they're working on and plays that mm. they're doing and then they were okay an example of college not working gossip girl only because it just didn't make sense for some of them yeah and then they like abandoned it they did the same thing on 90210 like the first college season they were very much like spend so much time in the student union on campus the greek life and then by season five we're not talking about class or college <laughs> <laughs> i feel like was it the vampire diaries did something similar and obviously no spoilers but like i made it to season seven before i stopped watching anything um and i loved the high school season so much the first four seasons of the show are my favorite and then i didn't love when it transitioned to college i think it got the tone right but i just didn't like some of the storylines they were doing um and then i season seven is the season that uh nina Dobrev is not in so the show completely changed and made it much made, it became a much darker supernatural kind of thriller kind of show and i think if you asked a critic a critic would say that um season seven is probably the best season because there's no like love routine drama or any of that kind of stuff in it it's more darker it's a complete shift which is kind of an evolution that worked whereas when shows start as teen teen shows and then try to elevate themselves to college dramas that doesn't always work and i think in the case of the vampire diaries it doesn't so then that hard pivot then to become a much darker more serious show in season seven actually worked for it and then i found it's hard again by the final season apparently um but that's just an interesting kind of like way to look at it because some shows try to evolve don't really evolve and it doesn't it just it doesn't work with the evolution kind of period like glee would you really call glee a teen drama i don't know but it was so exaggerated and accentuated and worked for the high school setting but then when some of those characters went off to college and still acted in the exact same way and they were all in different places and there were too many sets and too many storylines and far too much going on i don't think that worked for it so much so that they had to come up with a really silly storyline to bring them all back to the same setting for the final season so sometimes it's okay for a teen drama to admit we're a teen drama, we're going to go out as a teen drama. So four seasons and no more. And I think a lot of shows, even from our generation, kind of missed that point. It maybe went on for too long. I want it on record that I believe Glee should have ended after season five, episode 13. Mm -hmm. What That's happened to season five, episode 13? <laughs> it was a series finale. It was. It really was. The way that um, it ended, it, it ended as a series finale. And then there was like another back half of the season. I was like, why are we still going? <laughs> it, it, I, uh, it was the 100th episode. So they brought everyone back to say farewell and something and got rid of, you know, the second generation, which had Melissa Benoist and all them characters in it. They were not hitting with the fans as much because they basically tried to make them like Rachel and uh, Finn and all 2.0. And that didn't work. So they finally, after a season and a half, decided just to drop those characters. Perfect. It would have been a perfect ending for the show, but then they carried on a bit further <laughs> than they should have. I mean, there's something to be said about, I know these days shows just have shorter lifespans as it is, but back in the day, it seemed like if you didn't make it to like six, seven, eight seasons, you were a failure. But there's something to be said about a show that burns bright and fast. OC, four <laughs> seasons in and out, doesn't make it any less of a, cultural pop culture phenomenon that still be loved today i mean i don't think some people realize that it was only four seasons 
not even a hundred episodes. Like you can still have that power and go out. And I wouldn't say it went on, went out on top because the ratings really like mm-hmm. that, that final season was rough. Um, but you know, get in, get out, you know, like we don't mm-hmm. need to, I think sometimes, and this is where it gets trickier. Like it's the business aspect of television. They're like, we're making money. Let's keep making money. And it's mm-hmm. like, at what cost? to our sanity to like i don't know go out on top i think and i'm not saying like oh let's just have a cute two season series that's not a series i'm sorry i'm over it Mm -hmm. i've gone off on a tangent now (laughs) (laughs) listen listen i grew up on reruns of the the 60s batman and the 70s wonder woman show both of those shows lasted for three seasons and they were cultural phenomenons and the still art of this day but then suddenly and during the era where I was growing up, shows were going on for six and seven seasons. And even until about two or three years ago when TV ratings started going down, shows were going on for 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 seasons. Supernatural made it to 15. Grey's Anatomy is probably going to be 21 or 22. But how long does a show need to go on for to be a cultural phenomenon? We'll never forget what Grey's Anatomy did, but does it still need to be going on in this day and age? You know what I mean? Questions we need answers to. (laughs) (laughs) It's a nuanced conversation and I don't think we'll get any here, but yeah. I feel like it's just like with the reduced episode counts too, there's less room for shows to try new things as they age. Like we've talked a lot about Dawson's Creek, but as it aged, they had they had such great minds behind the scenes like superhero Arrowverse King Greg Berlanti, who I, I I didn't do the research before we started and I wanted to. I think Dawson's Creek was one of his first major like I think so gigs as a writer, and I feel like he might have become an executive producer by the end of the series. I don't know. Fact check me. I forgot to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> but like by the by season five and six, where they were in college, there were standalone episodes. Like one of my favorites is like they're just like sitting around in a living room telling scary stories, and it's like in vignettes. There's like four acts of stories or like there's a whole episode where Pacey and Joey are locked in a Kmart <laughs> and they just have to untangle their their relationship and like when I first watched it I was like what are we doing but like I have a bigger fondness for that now because it's like we're not getting these episodes as much anymore where we get to step out of the world and we just get to spend time with the characters and it, like it was just, it, we were spoiled and we didn't really even, even know it I feel like back then they were like oh this is just filler and to say now when television is not what it is, when we're getting filler episodes that aren't actually like have the value of Joey and Pacey in a Kmart or Joey having her complete own episode that has no impact on the series. She like, I feel like she got mugged in a at an ATM oh and it became this like a whole storyline with like figuring out it was like a father and her his young daughter. I don't know. It was a beautiful episode. Um, but as maddening as that show always made me, it took risks that shows aren't being afforded that luxury to take those risks. They have to, you know, they have to fill those 10 episodes with as much content or mm-hmm. they just take their time at a glacial pace with these 10 episodes and we don't get the same content that we usually got with these teen shows. Well, I feel like there's a misunderstanding for some um, people I want to say in the writer's room where like, I can tell this in 10 episodes. It's like, you can't, you have an ensemble cast and they all have storylines. Like it's not like one of the things I love about School Spirits, which is on Paramount Plus, all eight episodes, give us a season two, um, 
it's a teen drama uh, that like is specifically a murder mystery, right? And so it works for it to have eight episodes because yes, we have an ensemble cast and we are learning about other people's backstories and why some of them died and why some of them, you know, haven't been able to move on. But the driving mm-hmm. force of the show is trying to solve who killed Maddie. That works for eight episodes. Sometimes you, we get into these teen dramas and they're like, we have an eight episodes. It's like, yeah, but it's slice of life. We could have argued for maybe 15 because what mm-hmm. it, like what it, if the whole point is you were coming of age, I'm going to need more episodes from you because there's just too many kids in this show and you're not giving enough of them room. Either you needed to cut your ensemble or you need to have more episodes because or I'm make not better use it. of your time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Gossip Girl, the new one. That's the, what what happened with it. We're dragging <laughs> for episodes. For for what reason though? Like if it's it's you have to be either we're trying to take over the school and we're fighting about queens, or we are a slice of life and meandering through the plot. But if we're a slice of life and meandering through the plot, I want some character development that lasts mm-hmm. for more than one episode. Mm-hmm. There's they don't use the time wisely to service each of the characters for the story. And then we get, I, I don't know. How does that go so wrong? I don't know. By probably plots that just don't need to be there. For instance, Julian and her affair with a married man who's also like in his mm. early 20s in college. It turns out there's a plot twist for. What for? Why? And also like over that. Mm. I, mm-hmm. I think we as a culture need to, you know, sunset that story. And to circle back to Dawson's Creek, they did it in, I want to say season one, Pacey slept with his teacher. And I was like, what are we doing? I hate that storyline. It's so stupid Mm -hmm. and it goes nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) I I vividly remember the argument in the classroom after hours where she's just like, we can't be together. And he's like, but I'm really into you. And I'm like, Pacey, aren't you like 15? She should be in jail. Like, I yeah. just don't know. But one of the things that I don't like about those plots, and they seem to be more nuanced now, but they still don't need to be in TV, is this idea that especially if it's the female teacher, like, you should sympathize with her. And like, I I, I don't. That is her charge. She's supposed mm-hmm. to be teaching him. I want her removed from my sight immediately. Felt that way with Miss Grundy in Riverdale, too. Granted, she dies, but like, took too long. Like, I just don't. <laughs> Screen was like, where's the black hood in season one? <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Like, why are we telling that story if you're not really adding anything new? Like, I don't like it. I feel like sometimes it can raise awareness in the wrong way. Not that I feel mm-hmm. like it's romanticizing it. Maybe it is sometimes, but like, why are, what are we, what are we saying with that? Could we have found something that made better use of story time? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's what's kind of baffling about the more modern teen dramas if you can call them teen dramas in that that's one of those I feel like that's one of those tropes or storyline tropes so when you look back like you said Reed, when you look back on a show that didn't edge well but then how come that's the trope that kind of has been carried forward into some of these more modern teen dramas I mean if it wasn't good back then it's, it's even less good now because you think TV's supposed to evolve and I don't understand why that's one of the storylines that kept keeps getting brought back up like sabrina said we saw it in gossip girl 2.0 and yeah i don't know where i'm going with that but i feel like as far as some <laughs> of the things that evolve and some of the things that grow and how we miss our old teen dramas that's not an aspect of them i kind of miss so i i feel like we could just it's okay to move on from that now yeah i feel like 
there's a realism. I'm like, yes, there are teenagers in relationships with grown people. But the way that it's, it is, it's rarely have I seen teen dramas where it's not romanticized. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's often romanticized and it's like, oh, but they love each other. It's like, don't care how you wrote that. We need to move forward. Give mm-hmm. them an age appropriate partner. I just feel like in a school, because what it does in is it makes it like, I would think for a teenager to be like, well, in my specific situation with my specific person who is age inappropriate for me, it's different. It's like, but it's not. It's the same, same plot. Like, it's still not going to end well. I mean, perhaps everyone should listen to, what is that Demi Lovato song? 29? 29. Um, just like, because when you were the person who was older, generally you're going to understand that that was not okay. You know, you're so right. Because I feel like TV had us rooting for these relationships, like Pretty Little Liars, Arya and Ezra. Like, I watched that first season as was my rite of passage as a teenager at the time. <laughs> Why was I rooting for that relationship? Why? Why? They were I don't so know. earnest. It was I like, have no answer. They... they did it in Life Unexpected, too, on the CW. That was like a teen family show. Uh, the main character, Lux, she dates her English teacher, who was a younger teacher. And I'm like, am I just rooting for this couple because they're CW hot? I need to rewatch the show because I don't know what they said about that. I don't remember what they said. I just remember how I felt as like a as an older teen watching that show, being like, oh, but they're cute together. It's not cute. What was I thinking? <laughs> like, what are these shows doing? <laughs> but I do think that's maybe one of the dangers of shows like that, maybe sometimes romanticized and things like that. Because I know if there was a storyline in one of the uh, British shops that I would have grown up watching, they would tend to tackle storylines to raise awareness for them so that you would know even when they started, no matter how long it went on, by the end of it, it would all end in tears. And the point of the storyline would be to highlight that this is wrong and this should never have happened. And maybe the teacher would be dragged through the courts and like exposed for what happened. Whereas we haven't seen that in an awful lot of teen dramas. And like Sabrina said, with Riverdale, it took an awful lot of time for Miss Grandita even address what had happened. And I, the comeuppance was very exaggerated as far as Riverdale goes. There was no like official kind of investigation or anything that should have happened as far as storylines like that go. So I do think that's one of the, I, I keep saying, I think that's one of the aspects of teen dramas I would like to see sunsetted because as they get more edgy and start to push more boundaries and like leave network TV and end up on streamers, I fear you might see more of that. And if if we're not, if we're not tackling it for the right reasons to raise awareness as to why it's wrong, why are we tackling it at all? I know. And Nancy Drew does, you know, raise awareness for why it's wrong, but then we keep Ryan around. And it's not that I don't like Ryan. I absolutely adore Ryan. He is amazing. I just wish that we didn't have the George and Ryan storyline. Mm-hmm. Like it's one of the drawbacks for, I believe, the first season for me, because I'm just like, yeah, but she was, was she not 17 though? And Ryan's like full grown. Like we're not even. And it's her friend's dad. Yeah, I was like, mm, mm-hmm. I know like partway through they were like, let's clean this up. Let's fix it. Let's give her a moment to to like be able to tell him it was wrong. But I was like, yeah, but then we're keeping Ryan though, because the actor's so great. And you've mm-hmm. written Ryan to be so likable. And I get that is also realistic, right? Like there's like there are definitely gonna be people that you like admire and that you really adore and who are incredibly funny who also had an age inappropriate relationship at one time and they were the older person. But I'm also like, can we just not do it at all? Can mm-hmm. we just, I just don't want that part of, I've let it go because I love Ryan. But I, it's just one of the things that I, like, it's a knock against Nancy Drew for me. And I love Nancy Drew. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. It's, yeah. 
And you almost kind of forget about it because it happened so long ago. And then now, now that we're talking about it, I'm like, yeah, why did I don't really know what that story accomplished, if I'm being honest. Um, especially since it turned Ryan into such a fun part of the show. And like you said, I love Ryan, but it's it's strange to look back on that era. Mm-hmm. It's going to, I can't delete it because it's part of George's personal growth. But like, mm-hmm. it's in a shaded corner of my Nancy's <laughs> mind. <laughs> Put it in the cabinet locket. <laughs> yes. But I feel like this is a good like segue into Nancy Drew. Um, mm. Because we did watch episode nine, which is like, I have to say, I'm very happy about where we are because we finally made it to the part that like everyone was screaming about. Um, was that last year? About Ace's, I'm jumping right to the end. Ace is stuck in the, in, in the, I don't know, is it a liminal space? What is that place? He's not in, on his plane of existence. Mm-hmm. See the lighting change as soon as he turned the key and everything went blue. I'm like, what did you do? Um, yeah, I, I was I was so excited because by the time they kind of wrapped the, the main story of the episode up with about like a good 10 or 15 minutes to spare. So I thought the episode was over. And then he said he was going to send that text to Nancy. And then they, they, Nancy, we knew Nancy was going to meet him there. And I was like, oh, there's still eight minutes left of this episode. Let me sit back and relax here. And it was it was so compelling. Um, yeah, the, the nest has never been more nesting than it is right now, has it? I know. Okay, wait. Full disclosure to our listeners slash watchers. <laughs> I forgot to watch the episode. <laughs> and as my punishment, I get it spoiled. I get to listen to the the spoiler review. Um what? Which what happened? happened? <laughs> oh, I don't okay. even like I'm shook now what Michael just said about Ace. Let's wait, let's do a it? whole nice watch. Let's just do let's yeah. just yeah. start yeah, with that. the way we always recap the flash for you. Let's do this with Nancy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So like it's where we're still trying to figure out the Copperhead situation. And um Nancy rolls through at Ace's um no at the historical society because he texted her, but she rolls through with Agent Park, which means that we get treated to jealous ace. Mm-hmm. Uh, um oh. it's a it's a think off in the middle of that room um, as like Park's giving his ideas and Ace is like, mm, see, you presumed and that's not correct about this information. Like the back and forth there, amazing. And Nancy was clocking it, but she was like, okay, well, we're going <laughs> <we're gonna laughs> to move, move on to doing what this is. But he has this great line. He says, "Some um, your brain is like my brain. Ooh. And, and I was like, mm, okay, uh, Park, did you hear that? Her brain is like his brain, and I love Park and Nancy. That they are, people who love them, we got fed too. But the nace was so in point. He did get trapped outside of the door though, which meant that Nancy and Park got to have got to huddle in a jacket when they were down in the cellar where the Copperhead was being um, held by himself. Apparently, there's a whole plot about how he welded himself into the cell. But Ace, oh. go ahead. Per your recommendation, I did watch the two Nace clips on YouTube and I saw the scene where they're in the underground space and the mm-hmm. hatch closes and Ace is like, I can't get out. And then he gets knocked out by a horseshoe. Yes. <laughs> um, so did that happen before he sends the text to Nancy? Because he was talking about the mm-hmm. text, I feel like, in that scene. Mm-hmm. Or he was talking about Nancy because he's on the phone with Bess and Bess was reading him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Bess sends the text message in the other scene that I watched. So that happens after the hatch gets locked? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. The whole, the, basically, the whole plot of the episode happens between those two scenes. But Nancy gets out, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Yes, her and Agent Park. They spent most of the episode trapped down in the dungeon thing that the Copperhead was in. Um, 
it was it was fun and i have to say for being such a nice episode the nice episode that everyone's been waiting for i agree with sabrina they did a great job setting up nancy and agent park as well it was very, very lots of chemistry there and um the uh the scene where oh, let me i wrote it down i need to i need i need to vocalize it the, I, the, a lot of the plot kind of goes over my head with the storyline usually i'm quite good at keeping up but a lot of the plot there's too many character names went over my head so when um agent park and nancy were like huddling together and they were freezing because it, it the whole point of the episode is that there was a storm outside and everything was turning to ice. So because the dungeon or whatever that place is gets all the wind, they were freezing down there. Um, yeah, and when they were talking, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and when they were talking about Temperance's so- daughter who split her soul into four pieces and they, were, they, they said that talking and thinking about it might keep them warmer, but they were like huddled in Park's jacket together, the two of them right beside each other. And he was looking at her, she was talking, she was looking at him as he was talking. I have to say, I did not pay attention to any of that dialogue because the chemistry between the two of them was so strong. Um, I had to rewind the scene like four times. I was like, wait, what did they say? And, and who are they talking about? <laughs> but I mean, incredible scene. And I, I'm, I, I am Ness through and through, but credit where it's due, that, that was a great scene. They were acting and the conversation was all about love. Because <laughs> like she's um, one of the things that she's learning from Park is to how to be comfortable in the discomfort of not knowing what happens next. And so she's like rambling on in the cell as it's getting colder, trying to figure out what happened. And she's like, are you meditating? Because um, at first he was like, have you ever been in love? And she's like, excuse me. out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> random but she never actually she didn't answer the question um but like he they both come to the conclusion that um at beckett beckett dow did what he did because he was desperately in love with charity and charity was desperately in love with him and they he turned himself into a monster so that they could be reunited one day and their love could last forever that's the thing that they figure out um in the cave together and then they, um, after Ace wakes up, he rescues them by attacking the hatch with an axe and, com- and comes down. Um, and then they all go back to the house because there's a there's a subplot about Nick's friend, who's named Eve, Nick's friend Eve, who thinks she killed somebody and thinks she's been it was it happened when she was possessed. She's not possessed. Apparently, she's been having blackouts because of the trauma um, of seeing him kill somebody. And having been responsible for it. But Nancy asks Agent Park to help her. And so, like, we get these great little clock moments um, because uh, what did Nancy say? She's like, oh, yeah, because Park has been so helpful with Eve. And then Ace doesn't quite roll his eyes, mm-hmm. but it's there. And um, George sees it. <laughs> and so, so everybody's aware of Ace's feelings for Nancy, for Nancy, except for Nick. But Nick's preoccupied anyway. Um, so he sends the text that he sends is so that he can tell her that he has feelings for her, but he gets carried away with figuring out the lock of the key that they found. He fixed it and he unlocked the lock that was on the cell. And when he did that, it transported him to another plane. So when Nancy comes into the room to find him at the historical society, she doesn't see him. He thinks that she leaves because um, she's mad at he, he, she's mad at him for missing their eight o'clock meetup because it was nine o'clock when she arrived. But she actually, she just went back home because she didn't know that he was there. So he goes to her house and who's at the house? Helen, who's also trapped on this plane of existence. And she's- Oh, is Helen the the um, historical society? 
Mm-hmm. The one they thought was the one who released the copperhead. And we were all like, that doesn't make any sense. Helen has been nothing but wonderful to you, but sure. She's the phantom knocker. It's her who's been knocking at the door, trying to get Nancy to notice her. Oh, so do they, do they figure out they have invisible friends? Not yeah. yet. Mm-mm. We just, no. I mean, Nancy opening the door and like um, not seeing either of them and Ace being like, where are we? And I'm like, well, babe, it's going to be a while until you can get back to, <laughs> <laughs> to tell her about it's, your it's, feelings. It, it's very upside down, isn't it? Um, they, everything looks the same but except a bright blue hue and they can knock and they can contact, but nobody knows. They were all convinced in the start of the episode that the, remember, wasn't it in the last episode, they found out that the historical society is being haunted. We were like, oh, clearly, well, we know who it is. No, they were all convinced it was uh, um, Charity. Um, so they were like, it must be Charity. It must be Charity. And I was listening to the voice. I'm like, y'all, I know that voice. That is not Charity. Um, and So do they exactly. not call Temperance Temperance anymore? They call her Charity? Oh, no, no, no. Temperance is in Charity's body, but Charity's soul, they think, is haunting the um, oh, historical okay. society. Um, but it's not her. It's um, um, Helen, um, who Helen. obviously was, was obviously busy in Central City being Captain Kramer on The Flash. <laughs> so they had to come up with a storyline to write her out. But um, I'm like, finally, you notice this woman you accused of being a villain and then she's just been gone for ages. I'm like, finally, someone noticed it was actually her. Um, but yeah, no, it seems like it's going to be very... Um, upside down now with the two of them trapped in there and I they have to say they did a great job of making you like want the whole Nancy and Ace situation and then it just being pulled away from you at the last minute because she came in and I have to say plenty of chemistry with Agent Park no doubt but as soon as she got the text from Ace Agent Park was putting on his coat and was like good work today Nancy Red, and he was like ready to leave he was in her house and he was like looking at her and she was like yeah sure thanks Agent Park bye <laughs> she was <laughs> she, 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 she <laughs> it's all about ass after that text yeah. it was. <laughs> all and about she, ass and she had been all about park for most mm-hmm. of the episode before that but like ace was like can we what did the text say is um i have something i need to tell you can you meet me at 8 p.m alone question mark um and she sees she sees it at the end and i i love park so much but i was like mm, sir if only a te- it, it takes only a text message you're not in the fight <laughs> You're not in the game. <laughs> I want some payoff soon, though. I, I feel like they're like gonna I'm, make us wet. I'm enjoying the crumbs, but I want a little. I want a, mm-hmm. a full bite. <laughs> well, well, you did get jealous, Ace, which you were waiting for, and we were waiting for because we wanted to. Um, we we're like, where is his feelings at this? Like, she's like mm-hmm. pining away and gazing. Where is he? And he's like, so she likes Park. Let me get on this real quick because I because <laughs> I will. Um, Bess was right; the window was closing, and it was mm-hmm. closing fast. And it, I loved how he was flustered when he was kind of called out on because she said about how the window to Nancy's closing for your feelings, so you need to tell her your feelings. And he was like, "Who says I have windows uh, feelings?" And he just completely <laughs> caught him off guard. And uh, like we we've mentioned how everyone keeps like kind of nudging Nancy and nudge nudge wink wink about the whole thing. Remember when Nancy was jealous? Or was it over? s with a with amanda and she was like she's, she's competent or whatever um but now we're seeing the s side of it we've always said words kind of this s side of it now it's really really nice to see it playing out slowly but i feel like we always said they're giving us crumbs and they're like kind of like subtly pushing the nest i feel like with the exception of Nan- nancy's steamy dream a few weeks ago because we all knew nancy was heading in that direction i feel like this is the most direct they've ever been about it because somebody actually had a conversation about it which i dare say is more than we've ever had because bess 
uh, talking to S about it was making him confront those feelings. So it's out there. Someone spoke it into existence. I just feel now you're going to get the little bit of a predictable. They almost had their end game, and now he's off somewhere while Agent Park's still there. So I feel like whatever they do with these two or three episodes, I feel like we're going to see a, a few of the typical tropes of um, making us wait for the um, Ness romance because they literally can't be together right now. Speaking of the steamy episode that you just referenced, I can't believe Nancy didn't see him in that pink shirt and just go feral. (laughs) (laughs) He looks so nice in his pink shirt. That pink shirt was giving everything it needed to give. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Yeah, I have memories of maybe a photo of Nancy with S in that pink shirt. And I was like, is this the episode? But no, no, neither. neither oh, we have another pink shirt to look forward to. Yeah, <laughs> but, but it might be the same one. I don't think he can change in whatever dimension he's trapped in. Oh, so right. I assume I assume maybe that's a photo of the reunion. So that's why I'm guessing there'll be like two or three episodes of him stuck there before he finally gets out in the finale. Maybe, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I feel like they're going to make us wait for it now. Um, since we got so close and the finale's not quite here yet. Oh, but I no. never have I wanted to flick on another episode so badly. I think they're going to red string a fade us because the key he was working on is the key she finds in the cell. And he mm-hmm. fixed it. And I'm like, she was down there with Park talking about love. But there's something about that story about the lovers pact. I was like, it's going to become a nice thing. I feel mm-hmm. it in my... There's like, are they going to have to make a pact to get him out of this thing? Which means, of course, supernatural happenings that have consequences. Because mm-hmm. exactly what happened to Charity and Beckett. And I'm like, I know I've been spoiled a little bit. If this is the way we're going, I'm going to eat this all up. I'm like, I'm so excited. <laughs> 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 we're ready for Ness at this point. I know. I can't wait to watch this episode. I can't believe I forgot. Oh, God. <laughs> You're all right. So oh God. I don't think you're going to like the Vanson, though. Oh. Mm. More. But, There's more? So the, um, well, they were actually quite lovely at the start of the episode. Like, she finally gets to tell him um, that she, you know, that doesn't have to, she, it's not, she's not going to die in 10 years. And so they're excited. Mm. They they keep talking about how they're the perfect team. They um they're gonna solve this Eve situation, and then they're gonna elope. And so we go running down to the courthouse with ten minutes to spare. Um, and the judge comes out after they're like yelling at the door because it's been locked. And I was like, mm, I feel like she should turn you away. It's 10, 10 minutes before closing, but fine. Um. But she's happy to do it. And they they are going to, the paperwork's all handled. Um, George says, you know, I should have an aisle. So they're in a hallway. And so the judge is on one side and Nick is on the other. And George just doesn't move. And she tells, she says, I can't. And she, they go, and he's like, what? And so the judge gives them a minute and he goes down there. And then they have a talk about how they're probably rushing into this because of the, the life and death stakes of what they had just been through. And all the, all the time that they've been together has always been one thing after another. And George says that she feels like if they do this now, they'll end up being like those plants that twine together and like suck the life out of one another because they haven't learned how to grow on their own. And she wants to be able to grow beside him, not, you know, constrict each other and he like he's like yeah i agree and i was like you're wasting my time like, 
like, but they so she takes the ring off and they're crying and they're still going to be together, but they're going to like they're not going to get married and they're going to figure out how to be together as they grow because he still has to deal with the trauma of what he had done um, accidentally killing someone in self-defense. And I'm just like, you see what I mean about wasting my time? Like, <laughs> <laughs> now, OK, I'm not going to drag it too hard, um, but those storylines always stress me out like i've never been engaged i've never been married but like they make these sometimes these storylines make it out to be such a bigger deal than i think it is because i'm like you can keep the ring on and stay together and not have a crying moment you could have gotten married and just been like yolo we have ghosts haunting us every day what does it matter if we're married it doesn't change anything like you can still be on and off again i don't know it's just like those storylines don't always work for me because i mm-hmm. I, I just have such a I don't know. I don't have a perspective on, I guess, marriage and engagements that is so like, oh, we have to, it has to be one or the other. And it's like, you can wear the ring. You don't have to have the dramatic TV moment of taking it off. I don't know. That's, uh, I guess I have to see it happen and unfold. But like, I feel like I've seen it so many times in TV where I'm like, why are you making mm-hmm. such a big deal out of it? It's like, mm-hmm. you both clearly love each other. You don't need to, it doesn't need to be now, does it? Like, if you're on the same page about like you loving each other, but you don't think it's the right time to do it, then just don't do it. I don't know. It's just like it's sometimes the storylines just don't work for me. I don't mm-hmm. know. No, I have to be honest. I was a bit disappointed that they went down this route because we kind of predicted this would happen um, when uh, George got free from Odette and that they had the rest of their lives together. And then the, at the start of the episode set it up that they were going to subvert that expectation. And then we just ended up there by the end of it. Now, Nancy does tend to subvert things, so that's fine. But the fact then that we ended up in the predictable, I will say the acting, the acting in that scene absolutely sold it for me. I was like, yes, you go do what, live your life and be happy. But after, <laughs> after, it was, after I was writing it down in my notes, I was like, wait a minute, that's exactly what I didn't want to happen. So I don't know. I agree with you. I, it's, it's sad they went the predictable right here because like you said, they don't have to get married tomorrow. They could like put the wedding off for like six years. It doesn't mean she needs to take the ring off and hand it back to him. If you know what or I mean. You could, or you could get married not wear a ring it can be whatever you mm-hmm. need it to be I, if you can agree on that you both want to be together i don't understand why you need to, to do all that mm-hmm. yeah i think so for me i felt like it pulled the rug out from under shippers because they literally spend the whole episode jazzed about their future and getting married and the, it's i think it's supposed that michael the last three minutes of the show that mm-hmm. um before we get to the to the Nancy and Ace stuff, we're just we're gung ho about like eloping and, and we're so excited. And it's like, and of course then it's like George who who pulls out, and of course then it's Nick being okay with it. And I'm like, I'm not I felt like that just wasn't necessary. I felt like we didn't have to decide out of the exuberance and excitement of her not losing her life in 10 years that we decide to go elope and then then change our minds like i just it speaks to like i know the point is that they're supposed to they're immature in their love and maybe they are rushing things and they haven't been together for a, a long time but i'm like okay but just be engaged just have a longer engagement you've only been engaged for like what two weeks like just mm-hmm. wait a year just leave the the ring on i get it's a big commitment because that's what she's scared of she said it's supposed to be for life and she only wants to do this once and I get that. But you two just said you're sure about each other. So if you're sure about each other, give it 365 days and plan a nice wedding that all of your family can come to. And you'll mm-hmm. be ready by next March 
or something. <laughs> yeah, and it, it it is it it is important that their character journeys played into that again whatever what happened with Nick's friend made him realize that he actually still has a lot of trauma to unpack that he hasn't been doing and he thinks now that maybe by staying in Horseshoe Bay he's been running away from that instead of going back home and dealing with it and I think that's a great arc because we always had Nick kind of kind of had to get out get through that off screen because of all he's been going through so it's nice to finally see them addressing that there's a lot they need to address and I appreciate that they're there storyline wise but they're going to do it together anyway I don't know whether we needed to go down the predictable ask me again and so often kind of story because we've seen that kind of done on television many many times before then it made me think is he going to be able to ask her again i feel like if we had if we were going to have like five or six seasons mm-hmm. it probably wouldn't happen like the you i go into yeah. thinking about the nostalgic what we were talking about with teen dramas usually they'd get the scene again but we'd have moved on by the time mm-hmm. that um they do it again and they both recognize in that moment breaking the hearts of shippers everywhere that they did grow apart and it was a good thing that they didn't get married because they might have resented each other. Nancy Drew's not going to do that because they only have one season left. But I'm like, y'all keep brushing up against each other. I, are we trying to say it's y'all against everything? Are we trying to say you're not compatible for the long term? I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Like Michael said, it feels like the arc of their relationship this season has been a touch on the predictable side like it hit it's hitting certain beats that you see in television relationships um and at this point i wouldn't be surprised if they did break up by the season finale mm. and then season four was about them getting back together or something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's the final yeah that's that's definitely a final season story right there i can see that happening <laughs> love will bring love will find a way I don't know. Mm. I don't like those storylines. <laughs> I don't. Um, and then the best of it all. Um, she seemed like she was in a good mood. She, mm. Mm. Oh, okay. <laughs> she, she was with Ace. I, I'm having trouble with Best this season. Me too. She was Is so she being messy. She, well, she's so right? aggressively against Eve, who she doesn't know, and was like so sure that Eve murdered her boyfriend. <laughs> And um and and uh, she's like, why are you so hung up on it being possession? Is like, that's a good question because I don't know why Eve thinks like it's either possession, um and well it's possession or nothing else. Like it, like there's no other possibility for why you would have blacked out. But the way that like Bess was like, you're lying about something. I know you're lying about something. Like you did it. You're the one who killed your boyfriend. I'm like, chill. You met her like five minutes ago. What are we doing? <laughs> it's like. <laughs> It's like what Reed said about how they're hitting all the predictable beats of a story. I feel like they're doing the exact same with Bess here. This whole season, Bess has had a lot of like comedic or accentuated, exaggerated kind of storylines. And here we are again. The reason she was interrogating this woman is because she's starting to die temperance, which that's a nice, interesting thing. Because now that Nancy's on temperance aside, Bess is like, wait a minute, what if I've made a grave mistake and made Nancy let her guard down? That's good. But when Eve turned up asking for help, she said, I need you to treat me like the Drew crew. So investigate this so you can prove I'm innocent. And then Bess just went off the deep end, pretending that she was guilty, trying to convince the rest of them that she was guilty, interrogating her left, right and center. And it was also because Bess was insecure about the possibility that temperance might be guilty of more than they know and so now that Bess is mistrusting of temperance she suddenly started taking that out on Eve completely and she was proven wrong because Eve was blacking out it just wasn't paranormal for a reason so we, we play Bess for laughs too much I think in this episode really like fell into that she was hilarious but halfway through the episode you're like okay enough is enough now and it, it wasn't until the final 10 minutes that she finally learned that she was wrong now, where was this energy for Amanda Bobsey? 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> it was non-existent, which is uh, the the whole thing with Beth and the, the way that they've selected her anger, right? Because the last time she was like this angry um, was when her friends, she felt like her friends weren't supporting her and believing in her ability to solve things just because she's not Nancy. And now it's like we're Nancy's, Nancy busy? I forget what Nancy, no, yes, Nancy's busy. So now someone has to step up and be Nancy, except Nancy does not interrogate like this she's not like i know you did it like i have no clues but i know you did it like that's not who she is i don't know like best had to be that person and i also find it interesting that like it's not like it's the fact that temperance took her daughter's face that makes Bess question um temperance it's not the murder temperance committed episodes before that's the thing that she gave a man a stroke and killed him but that wasn't enough to change your mind. But she steals her daughter's face, and we've gone too far. <laughs> <laughs> but then at the end of the episode, Bass breaks, and uh, why is that name place? So that the name of that place escaping me. Oh, Icarus Hall. That's the one. Um, uh, Bass breaks in there because Temperance is out of town, and um, she finds where is Temperance letters. going. I actually don't know where is Temperance. Do we know? We're going on vacation. She was so she was <laughs> stuck. In I forget the town name, but because they closed the t- they closed the bridge um, back to Horseshoe Bay, which is an island. I keep forgetting it's an island. But <laughs> <laughs> so, so Temperance couldn't get back into town, so she was like excessively calling Bess, trying to tell her like I can't get back in. Why aren't you picking up my calls? That's um, crazy. I would have assumed she was like uh, she could move through time and space. <laughs> mm, yeah, I'm sure there's a tunnel out there somewhere. Um, but in the end, Bass broke in and found the letters that Temperance was writing to her daughter, which I think was the big cliffhanger of last week's episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so Bass was 100% right. But however, when she tried to take photos of the letters, the writing was blurred. When she tried to leave the building, the letters caught on fire. So Bass has now vowed to find evidence that she can actually take out of Vicarus Hall to prove that Temperance can't be trusted. And so in the end, Bass was right. But I'm like, you could just tell Nancy that you found letters. Like, Nancy, I believe you. You don't need to go and find av- tangible <laughs> evidence. Like, take Nancy to Icarus Hall. Like, it's not yeah. that. Can't we, like, plant, like, nanny cams? Like, Temperance doesn't know what a camera is. She's from the 1800s. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I wonder if that means they're going to bring the phones into this in some way. Because they kept, um, unless we were promoting voice apps. But they kept. That, yeah, that was weird. <laughs> that was like, so weird. Suddenly, Bess talks to her phone, does voice texts, which was something she wasn't doing prior, and she almost sends a text to Temperance because she's talking to um, she's she's talking to George, and the phone hears her and tries to text what she said, and she's like, "No, no, no, don't do that," you know. And then there's another scene where um, she's like, "How do I get?" She's like, "I know our phones listen to us all the time. How do I get whatever the phone was listening to?" And Ace is like, "Oh, they're called passive recordings. If you just, I can give you the instructions." And that's how she finds out that um, Eve was arguing with her boyfriend because they found a passive recording in the cloud of Eve yelling at her boyfriend for cheating on her. And she did not kill him. She blacked out because she self-soothes slash self-harms in her blackouts. In his, <laughs> this is not funny. I'm so sorry. <laughs> he was talking. He fell off the boat. And that's how he died. Oh, no. <laughs> this is the way that they did it. She's like blacked out and tying the rope around her hands and untying it. Because she's self-soothing in her dissociation. And he's just in the back and he falls over. <laughs> <laughs> and off the ship. And the girl in the front is taking a selfie. 
<laughs> I cannot wait to see that scene. <laughs> oh, they just they truly didn't care about that man. It's a terrible way to die. They're like, oh look, you fell off, you're innocent. <laughs> I mean, look, it's okay. I mean, it's sometimes it's funny to laugh about TV. I don't want to say Jets things because Michael, I was talking to you about 911 when Buck was on the ladder and he got struck oh, by yeah. lightning and he's just hanging. <laughs> <laughs> totally inappropriate, but I was dying. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's the 911 episode in the first season where um, someone fell out of a roller coaster, but it's just a doll. And they're just going to go shot. And this is, I had to pause. I couldn't move on. It was too much. TV going to TV sometimes. <laughs> Do we have budget? No. Are you getting the story? Absolutely. <laughs> oh man. Um, but where are we? Stories. Um. Uh. Yes. The re- the reason we were going on about phones was uh. So that was a story. The temporary that obviously deleted itself after twenty four hours. Although I'm sure someone, if that story said after twenty four hours, I'm sure someone would have said this dude fell off the boat in the background. So maybe they deleted it and hissed. I don't know, but. Yes, being the Felicity smoke of Nancy Drew was able to track that down easily and S off the crime, no problem whatsoever. But um, yeah, I don't know where the voice apps thing was going from. I think that would be dropped going forward. But like, I just feel as far as Bass was concerned, there was a lot of reaching with her story this 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 episode. I just, I want us to stop playing Bass for laughs because we said how she could be like the dark willow of Nancy Drew and like have the, all these powers or whatever. And we're, we're still playing her as like laughs. Four episodes no, left. no, we're not. <laughs> No, now it's full blown next time. We don't have mm-hmm. time for um well, we could still have, I guess, in the last what, twenty minutes of the season finale. Um <laughs> Bess just calls the powers that be <laughs> to Chris <laughs> Hall to, to put temperance down. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'd buy that. Like where was this all season? I mean I wouldn't mind. Hmm. That'd be great. Um but I think I think that's it for Nancy Drew season three, episode nine. I feel like we mind everything. I can't think of um anything else oh other than um i think at some point um nick is gonna go home to florida because we spent too mm. much time talking about how he's ashamed and that's why he hasn't been home yet mm. Ooh, a florida episode would be fun it would be i wonder if we'd be trying to pretend that maine is florida probably <laughs> and at that point we're pretending canada is both <laughs> <laughs> that's true well you know what you, you do what you have to do mm. And don't worry, everybody. I am going to watch the episode. I'll probably watch it tonight. Like, I'm not just going to skip it. Um, but here we are. I know what happens just out of context. I love it. <laughs> you cannot wait until the group chat blows up and you're like, oh yes. my God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think that is it for this week's pod episode. So, uh, we are the CW Spiral. I'm Sabrina. I'm Michael. And I'm Reed. Hi, y'all.